Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. Here we're coming on to another gem that I've dug out of the vaults, as it's actually an interview I recorded in October 2019 with Russell Colds, when I met him at the Compassionate Mind Foundation's conference in Edinburgh. And the reason I've sat on this one for a little while is a similar reason to why I sat on the episode around perfectionism and procrastination with Alexander Rosenthal. I simply didn't feel confident about how I recorded the episode. It felt like it wasn't quite, quote unquote, good enough. As you can hear in this episode, we got some issues with the audio recording because we're not quite sitting close enough to the microphone and it wasn't recorded like my other episodes have been done since. Also, pause, purpose, play didn't even exist at that point. I just knew I had to get Russell's expertise around compassion for anger. So that's what we're talking about in this about half an hour long episode, where I get a chance to get one of the expert opinions from someone who's done his own TED talk around compassion for anger and what it means to be strong. So in this interview, you hear some of the science and the theory around compassion for anger, but also a little bit about Russell's own experience and his motivation for changing his relationship with anger because of his son and not wanting to pass it on to the next generation. You'll also learn a little bit about the difference between shame, as in I am bad, and guilt, as in I did something bad, and how we can move towards our own suffering and the suffering in others to try to repair any damage that's been done by our anger. Stay with us to the end and let's think together about how we show more compassion for others and also ourselves when we experience anger. Right, so welcome Russell. Ah, thank you for having me. Obviously with your background and experience of anger, it, it really makes me want to ask a few questions about that and hopefully how that relates to the anger that shows up between partners in a relationship, mm-hmm. but also the anger that can be directed towards ourselves. So when we're hard on ourselves and when we beat ourselves up, how angry we can become with ourselves. Of the term that we sometimes use is kind of self-hatred or self-criticism. But I wanted to see how we can kind of run with that today. So let's let's start with talking a little bit about the kind of people you see, the kind of people you help in your clinical practice. Well, you know, I have a fairly diverse practice. So people struggling with various emotional difficulties, anger, uh, depression, anxiety, things like that. Yeah major life stressors like divorce or major relationship problems. The occasional couple, I don't specialize in couples as you, as you do, but I, I see a few of those mm-hmm. as well. And what kind of work do you, do you feel really passionate about doing it? What kind of people do you really show up for, really resonate with? For me, it's, it's less about this type of person or that type of person than about you know people who who kind of notice I'm I'm really struggling with this whether yeah. whatever the problem is that's kind of what triggers my compassion if I see someone that's really really having a hard go of it um, so I, 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 there's all this pressure in the field you know to really specialize mm-hmm. with this group or that group and um, 
I've sort of resisted that. <laughs> I've been very troublesome uh, for my supervisors sometimes in my training. So, you know, I would say I, I've kind of specialized more with, with anger. Yeah. Uh, but in, in some ways, that was a, a function of kind of the fact that relatively few people do that. It's an underserved population. Yeah. So that, that drew me because I could see there's a, there's a need there that isn't being met. It didn't feel like. Yeah. So that, something that really, that really that, that I can hear there, which is <clears throat> the things you've been moved by, you know, actually turning towards the, those people who are possibly not seen enough and not yeah. served enough in the, you know, in, in general. So people who show up with negative emotions or tricky emotions rather than saying that they're negative, but they're often displayed in a tricky way that makes some people not want to work with it. So I think that moving towards that suffering rather than moving away from it says a lot about how you show up in your in the compassionate version of you. And just to keep yeah. that simple for the people who might not know what compassion means, can you try to define that or how, how you think of the definition of compassion? Yeah, well, compassion is about how we relate to suffering. And there, there are a lot of misconceptions about compassion. Sometimes, you know, as you say that word and people think it means, you know, just being soft or, or nice or indulgent. And, and that's really not it at all. You know, compassion is really about what we do when things get really hard, right? When, when hurt or pain or struggle show up. Yeah. And if, if you look at the problems that people tend to have in their lives with their emotions and, and in their relationships, in couple relationships, mm. a lot of those problems really uh, have to do with uh, seeing difficulty or pain and struggle and kind of turning away from it and avoiding it mm. because it's uncomfortable and we kind of naturally don't like engaging with things that are uncomfortable. We'd much rather be comfortable most of the time. Mm. But, you know, when we avoid our problems, they, they don't tend to go away. They, they tend to go to the gym, you know, and they work out and they get bigger. So that's part of it. And, you know, the other thing that we can tend to do in, in the face of, of suffering and struggle that isn't very helpful is to criticize or attack mm. ourselves for having, for struggling, mm. or even others that may be involved as an avoidance strategy. So in anger, um, quite commonly, I think people will uh, sometimes lash out in anger mm. at, at people that they really care about. And, and we do that actually not because we're horrible people, but because, you know, we, we can kind of get away with it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's if I lash out in anger at my job, I'm not likely to have that job very long. Mm -hmm. But if I'm at home with my family who, who loves me, I can get away with it longer. You know, so this is, this is very tricky because paradoxically, uh, those of us who struggle with anger can be the worst mm -hmm. to the people we love the most. Yeah, because and, you can get away with pushing those boundaries like that. Yeah, because, you know, in some ways we can. And I think a lot of the ways, that, the things that get in the way of doing something about that, that keep us from taking responsibility for it, is that when we, when we see that we've hurt people we, we care about and love, that can be deeply uncomfortable. Mm. And so it, instead of staying with that awareness and saying, wow, this is not okay that I'm doing this, we, we tend to shift very quickly into uh, patterns of avoidance and mm. oftentimes with anger those patterns take the form of doing things like blaming the other person you know mm. I only said that to you because you did that mm. you know or rationalizing explaining it away or mm. or just like pretending it didn't happen and moving on and of course none of those things ultimately are very helpful in, in dealing with it and so a compassionate approach would take a little different form in that you know a compassionate approach, when you take that same interaction where the person kind of blew up at someone they care about, 
and then sees the damage it did and the hurt involved would would sort of be to look at that and go, wow, this was really painful. This was really not okay. And instead of blaming the, the self or the other person and attacking and disappearing into shame, it would really be about asking, allowing ourselves to be moved by, gosh, that's really rough. That's really hard. I want to, if I could do something to help make that better or prevent that from happening again, asking the question, what would that be? What could I do that would be helpful? Mm. And so that's really what compassion is. Compassion is just like allowing ourselves to see something that's really hard, that's painful, to see suffering, to see struggle, to allow ourselves, rather than turning away, to, to be moved by it, to go, oh, wow, that, that is, that's really hard. Mm. And then asking the question, given that this really difficult experience has shown up, what, what could I do that would be helpful? Mm. That's a really nice, yeah. I guess, <clears throat> working definition where we understand that the reasons why we move away from suffering, the reasons why we don't like to feel it because it's uncomfortable, and, and what human puts their hand up to say, yes, I like discomfort, I like pain, yeah. I want to feel all of that. Yeah. We don't, but what you're pointing to there is what, what we resist will persist. And when we push yeah. away from it, when we struggle against it, it often actually gets bigger, sometimes from that extra layer of kind of adding insult to injury. You know, if you're berating yourself yeah. for the fact that you lost your temper or you had a go at your partner in the way that you regret, then we're going to be even less likely to deal with it. So I think that's where you, yeah. I think you, you often talk about how it's not about letting go of accountability or responsibilities or turning towards your pain when you realize you've acted in anger in a way that's hurt someone you love. isn't letting go of responsibility. It's actually being able to move towards that responsibility and do something about it. Whereas if we constantly moving away from the problem, blaming, shaming the other person, we're not likely to do anything about the anger problem we have. No, no. And it, it's funny, too, because, you know, we, we can see the same dynamics in other aspects of life and we behave differently. So if I've got a leak in my house, you know, or there's something, you know, that's deteriorated, my, you know, back porch is falling apart or something, mm. you know, it's uncomfortable. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to have to pay the money to fix it or mm. go through the work to try and fix it myself because certainly I'm not good at fixing things around the house, you know, but I sort of know that if I don't, the leak's going to get worse and everything, you know, and, and so we take action. But, you know, with our own emotions and behaviors, the consequences are not always so obvious to us. Mm. It makes it a little easier to avoid mm. than we would like if we had a broken leg. Mm. You know, you break your leg. You, you, don't want, you don't want to bear the expense. You don't want to deal with the hassle of going to the doctor. But you're going to go mm. because you know it's going to get worse and you know it's, it's going to be painful if you don't. Mm. And so something about what choices we have. <clears throat> yeah. 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 So something about the short-term <clears throat> distress of having to face your own difficulties for the long-term gain of it, maybe improving your relationships yeah. and improving the way you think of yourself. Yeah, and you know, the, the other part of it is is when the problem is something about ourselves that we're uncomfortable with, it's yeah. doubly difficult because turning towards the suffering or the pain or the difficulty means turning towards to those parts of ourselves that we don't like very much mm. and that can actually activate feelings of shame or feelings of, you know, being mm. inadequate or, or being bad. And that, you know, that's why in compassion-focused therapy, it's very important to help people shift away mm. from that sense of shaming, that, that tendency to, to attack themselves and say, oh, th the fact that I did that means I'm, a, means I'm a bad person. Because when we do that, one, the, the shame is, is deeply painful and it paralyzes us, mm. but it also, it, it, it's so difficult that it tends to trigger more avoidance. Mm. So it's really about helping people recognize, you know, that's, that's not maybe not how I would have preferred to have been. 
Mm. You know, and I feel bad about that. But that doesn't mean I'm a horrible human being. I didn't wake up this morning saying, you know, I'm going to go and ruin my relationship. I'm going to go and yeah. cause terrible pain in the people that I love. That's what I want to do today. Nobody does that, mm. right? Mm. And so to recognize that, yes, I wouldn't have had it be that way. Mm. If I could go back, which I can't, but if I could, I would go back and change it. And since I can't do that, better to take responsibility mm. for working with it to make sure I'm, I'm not doing it again. Mm. Mm. And you had to do some thinking about your own experience of anger, especially in the in the TED talk. Oh yeah, yeah. So for anyone who wants to dive deeper into this, uh, Russell has a great TED talk that you can find on YouTube as well. And oh, I'll put thank all you. of that in the show notes as well for anyone who wants to click on the links to find it. So, can you tell me a little bit about how you how working with your own anger has helped you serve the people who come to you for help? Yeah, well, it, it helped me understand how tricky it was. You know, <laughs> it's, it's one thing to say, "Oh, you need to work with your anger." You yeah, know, it was quite another thing uh, to do that. And and for me, as is often the case, I think when people do difficult things, uh, it, it was because you know something had happened in my life that was important enough mm. that it was worth kind of confronting the parts mm. of myself that I didn't like very much. For for me, that was my son. Mm. You know, and the awareness, which initially was very shaming, <clears throat> that I was modeling, mm. you know, I was behaving in ways and teaching him, mm. you know, because when, when we're, this, we've got in psychology this term modeling, mm. which is to say, you know, particularly with parents, if I'm behaving away, in a way, in front of my children, that's, that's kind of how they learn to be. Monkey see, monkey do. Absolutely. And so, for example, if I'm someone who, you know, I tell my children, you know, it's, it's very important that you treat people with respect. It's very important that you treat people uh, politely and kindly. And then we go out to a restaurant, and I'm really rude and, and nasty and short with the wait staff. You know, what did my child learn from me? Mm. Did they learn that it's important to treat people with respect, or did they learn that well, actually, it's important to talk about that, but it's okay to be to be nasty, mm-hmm. right? So, so our children learn, uh, and other people actually learn much more through their observation of our behavior than through what we say, yeah. right? Our, our behavior is much more powerful demonstration of kind of teaching how to be or you know transferring that knowledge. And so, I became aware that you know, as my son was you know one month, six months, a year old that my own problems with irritability and anger uh, were leading me to, to behave in ways that I would, you know, I wouldn't want to transmit to him. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't, and it made me think about that because I'd struggled. I've got kind of an irritable temperament. Mm. You're in good company. Yeah, it, <laughs> my it husband, is. My husband would tell you you're in good company. Yeah, I mean, some people when they get, uh, feel threatened or they get depressed, it comes out, they become very anxious, yeah. right? And for me, I'm pretty rarely anxious, but mm. if, if, if I'm activated or stressed, it comes it all comes out as irritability, mm. which, you know, can, can turn into anger pretty easily. Mm. And and that's something I'd struggled with. And, and as I saw kind of what I was modeling for him, I thought, I don't want him to struggle with this. I don't want to give this to him. Yeah. You know? So that's your motivation for change. Yeah. yeah. That was the thing that it. really made me look in the mirror and say, okay, what kind of father... What kind of husband? Yeah. What kind of person in the world do I want to be? Yeah. You know, and and that helped actually having a really something that was important to yeah. me. So deep commitment yeah. to something that meant something that yeah. was valuable. Yeah. yeah. And often I find that as well working <clears throat> with parents that that's the point where they feel I have a choice here. I can choose yeah. to continue as I've been, 
because it's sort of okay in the short term, but it comes back with unintended consequences in the long term. It's not really serving me so well anymore. And yeah. when we become parents, you know, I can put my hand up to that as well, that that makes us really think about ourselves and how we show up in the world and who do we want to be for the sake of our children, but it's also for the sake of you, because how do we feel when we're not acting in line with our values? How do we feel when we're saying things in the heat of the moment, in anger, that we then can't trace back from, we can't backtrack and undo? But that's something you said earlier that I think is really important for people, especially for parents listening, that, you know, what happens if you say things in anger? What happens if you do things you then regret? And the difference between feeling guilty for things you've done wrong and repairing that rupture with someone versus mm. feeling ashamed and thinking I'm a bad person. So I did something bad versus I am bad. Can you, can you yeah. expand on that and how you would well, think about that related to anger? Well, that, that's that's sort of really important. Uh, when, when we go the shame route and the sense is I'm bad or, you know, I'm flawed or there's something wrong with me. There, there are two problems, really. You know, the first, as I mentioned earlier, is that's a deeply painful experience. Mm. So the, the tendency is just to avoid the whole lot of it. Mm. You know, down. just direct, yeah, push it down, direct our attention elsewhere, justify, blame, rationalize, you know, all those sorts mm. of things. But the other side of it is, is let's say that we don't avoid it. Let's say that we stay with it, the shame and the sense of the badness of the self. Well, where do you go from there, you know? Mm. If I'm bad... Well, there's no possibility for for uh, yeah. for recovery there. You know, how can you improve? On the other hand, particularly in in an interpersonal situation in a relationship, it makes it about me, right? So if I've I've treated you badly, mm. and then I the way I respond to that is to say, oh, the fact that I did that makes me bad. I'm, I'm what's not in that picture? Mm. What's not in that picture is caring about you, mm. right? I, I it's it, shame keeps it about me. Whereas with, with like guilt, the, the feeling isn't about the badness of the self, it's about the action. It's about what happened. And it's like, okay, I behaved in a way that was harmful to someone I care about, and I don't want to treat you like that. Mm. So I'm motivated to do better. Mm. Coming so back it, to that definition of compassion of, yeah. wow, that's really hard, that's really painful for you right yeah. now, and how can I help? Absolutely. What can I do? Absolutely. Yeah, in, in compassion-focused therapy, we talk about different flows of compassion. So there's the flow of compassion from me to others and my ability to benefit from compassion that others would show me. And then there's what uh, is called self-compassion, which is really my ability to see my own struggle and pain mm-hmm. and to soften it and go, oh, wow, that's really hard for me. Mm-hmm. You know, It's really hard when my buttons get pushed mm-hmm. to react in a way that's helpful and then ask, what would help me do better? Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is that once we do that, once we take responsibility for, for the fact that we have this sort of challenge, this, this tricky bit, there's actually quite a lot of you know, anger management resources. There's a lot of stuff we can do. I mean, mm-hmm. in my experience, the big challenge with helping people to handle anger isn't techniques or resources, it's getting people to, to say, I really struggle with anger and I need to, I'm gonna commit myself. Yeah to working with this and and doing better. And what I find is when people do that, when they make an earnest commitment to work and to do better, you know, it's a long road in in some ways, but the road is clear. We know quite a lot about what's helpful Mm. in in doing that. And if anyone sort of listened today and resonated with the way you think about anger, where would they go as a next step if they, you know, thinking about seeking out a therapist or looking at books. I know that you've written a few books. Yeah. Uh, well, I do have there. Um, 
the the book specifically with regard to anger that I've written that's called the Compassionate Mind Guide to Managing Your Anger. So that would be a place to turn. Mm. Um, what I would best recommend is you know that maybe you get that and there are some other books too. And and I think connecting with a therapist mm. can be really helpful because it can be tricky and to have some support and to have someone who can you know not just help you learn how to uh, to manage anger better but also can provide support as you do that is really important and that's something that you know it's it's very hard for a partner or or a friend mm. to do in the same way you almost need someone who who doesn't have like other sorts of relationships with you yeah because they also know. could be a source for your triggers it could be something that pushes your buttons absolutely well. absolutely whereas with a therapist their whole investment is mm. in facilitating your mm. your growth in a positive direction yeah and so i think having uh, a, a, some support and a, a support partner on that journey can be mm. really important mm. you know because it's it's tough and you know, there are setbacks and there are things you slip up and mm. uh, and and you know having someone to help out mm. really really is, is useful we've touched upon quite a few <clears throat> things in a short amount of time thinking both about the angers directed outwards you know, say between partners or from a parent in front of a child um, having a go at someone in your, in your workplace all that anger is directed outwards but I often see people who are very hard on themselves with anger is directed inwards in mm -hmm. terms of sort of oh, self-hatred yes. yeah. and maybe it's the final thing we can think about of that kind of anger and what lies underneath that so we might see anger but I often come across a lot of other emotions and when we start to unpick the anger one of the emotions I often come across is then a lot of sadness. That is, yeah. I'm so sad that yeah. I've treated myself like this, essentially seen myself as being crap and treated myself as crap for, for mm -hmm. decades sometimes. Do you have any sort of, I don't know, words of wisdom around people who turn to themselves with anger? Well, you know, anger is a, an interesting and, and kind of tricky emotion in that it can be, sometimes psychologists talk about primary and secondary emotions. Mm -hmm. And so a primary emotion is like, Something happens and that's how you react. Yeah. You're reacting to something that's happening outside. So somebody comes up and calls me a nasty name and I get angry, mm. get angry at them. That anger is kind of anger functioning as a primary emotion. Mm. Anger can also function as a secondary emotion, mm. right? And in, in, in those cases, uh, anger can show up almost in place of other, uh, other emotions. And, you know, I've, I've had a lot of, I've done a lot of work with men. Mm. in the states on anger and one of the things that historically has been true for many men is that they've, they've sort of learned growing up either you know through cultural mechanisms or, or their families or you know bullying dynamics at schools or things like that you know depending on your life experience you can get the idea that sort of some emotions are, are sort of okay to mm. feel and express Whereas others really are off limits, and and I, I shouldn't do that, and maybe I shouldn't express them. And almost, you know, maybe I shouldn't even feel them. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, a lot of the men that I've worked with have sort of gotten that experience growing up around anger. They've gotten the sense that you know, men, boys, you know, anger is is like the emotion you can show, mm -hmm. and it's okay. But boy, if people see that you're sad or that you're scared, or, mm -hmm. oh, that's that's very bad. So what happens is that people learn very quickly uh, when they notice those emotions they're uncomfortable with they can translate those very quickly into into something they can get away with so they translate it into anger mm. you know and I mm. remember 
uh, we were doing, I was doing a group at, in a prison setting once and we were going through uh, different emotions. And we mm-hmm. talked about anger and how that played out for people. And then we got into anxiety and sadness. And I had people quite literally say, hey, I feel anger so I don't have to feel yeah, the protection that stuff. Yeah, protection from that yeah, stuff. Absolutely. And so, and sometimes that anger can be directed at the self because yeah. the person's, they're interpreting their own experience, again, as sort of bad or shameful. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of self-hatred when you get the sense that, that there's something wrong with me. There's something in me that conflicts with the way I'm supposed to be or the messages I've gotten mm. about, you know, what's okay and what's not. Mm. And so you can get in a sense of anger at the self and self-loathing and, and mm. all of that stuff, which mm. again is, is, is deeply painful. Mm. And people can construct their entire lives around not, you know, contacting mm. that stuff. Mm. You know? Absolutely. And I think we, <clears throat> we've talked before about how people can be from a very different context. I mean, in a forensic setting, in prison settings, you can think about people who, who are offenders. You know, a lot of people wonder about how can you show compassion for someone who's you know, committed heinous crimes? And I think that's the beauty of compassion that we're turning towards that suffering of how often people who have committed those kind of crimes also have gone through crimes committed towards them in their childhood. Yeah. As, you know, growing up in violent environments, having male stereotyping of how they should show up in the world and what's expected of them. And when thinking about all the way over to the other side of people who are high functioning, they might be in you know, leadership positions or they're looking like they're kind of decent members of, of society. Mm-hmm. And when we sit with them, we realize they are very similar because we are a part of that common humanity. We all have tricky brains that do weird things. And we all have this sense of feeling that we are threatened by things that show up for us. We respond with a range of emotions to that. And that's what I see when I've sat with people who have, who have committed crimes versus people who are high-striving, busy people who on the surface level look like they're okay, that they are very similar in a lot yeah. of ways. They have a sense of trying to deal with their own shame, deal with their own sense of you know, fear of inadequacy, fear of rejection by doing things and that aren't serving them so well. So I wonder if the sort of, as a last point of our chat today, if there's anything that you would say as like the one take home message, because we don't know who's listening to this at the very moment. There could be people who are you know, struggling with their anger uh, as a parent, people who are high striving and don't know how to turn down that heat of that self-hatred. Mm-hmm. What would be <clears throat> the one thing that you'd be sort of saying as a take home message? If you forget everything yeah. else we've chatted yeah. about, what would be the well, thing? The, the thing I would, I would leave you with is, are two questions, right? When you notice yourself doing that thing you feel ashamed of yeah. or struggling in whatever way you struggle, you know, uh, behaving in ways that don't fit with the person you want to be. The first question to ask really is, given what I know about me, my background, the things I learned, the experiences I had, the things that happened to me, everything I know about me in my life, does it make sense that I would struggle with this? And here's a hint. The answer to that question is always yes. I'm nodding, so yeah. (laughs) Always yes, because our struggles occur within context in which they make sense. We learned to struggle with these things. We mm. or we didn't learn, you know, the 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 things to do that would have been helpful mm. in those situations. So but to start and say, does it does it make sense that I would struggle with this mm. given everything I know about me? And once you kind of answered that, oh yeah, yeah, it does. Well of course I would cover. Of course I would struggle with this. Mm. Then the next question is, given that, 
You know, given that I'm struggling and it makes sense that I would struggle with it, what would be helpful? And then, you know, to try and kind of pay attention to the answer. And and, and that can be really tricky. Uh, in and When I say what would be helpful, sometimes my clients say to me, well, if I knew what would be helpful, I wouldn't be meeting with you, right? And so sometimes when, when people hear this question, what would be helpful, they think, what is the magic thing I could do that would change this situation? And sometimes the answer to that question is, is, is that, not magic, but you know, there are actual things I could do that would change the difficult situation. But sometimes things happen in our lives that just kind of suck. You know, they're, just, they're not good and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm. So sometimes the answer to the question of what would be helpful is what would help me be more comfortable Mm-hmm. And and kind of stay with the version of myself that I would most like to be, while I endure this really difficult experience. Right? What would help me uh, help support me as I go through this difficulty mm-hmm. that is is at this point unavoidable? Mm-hmm. So those are the two questions. Given what I know about me, does it make sense that I would struggle with this? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then, given that, what would be helpful? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for doing that and take you for taking the time to sit in a freezing cold uh, Airbnb in Edinburgh, Scotland, <laughs> after the conference. So thank you very much, Russell. And I'll put all the details in the show notes so that people can find your books and your TED Talk and, and connect with you in that kind it's of It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Fantastic. So there you have it, dear Pause Purpose players, a lovely interview with Russell Colds around compassion for anger. So I hope that you stay to the end and really tune into your own anger or irritability or snapping shouting at your kids or shouting at your partner and understanding a bit more now that actually when you are beating yourself up for doing those things you're less likely to find the motivation and capacity to do something about it. So beating yourself up is actually taking you further away from the kind of person you want to be in your relationship with others. So if you want to take a deeper dive into this you can tune into Russell's TED talk on YouTube called anger, compassion, and what it means to be strong. And then you can also have a look at his book called The Compassionate Mind Guide to Managing Your Anger. Both of these are really helpful resources for you to learn more about your own anger and take some helpful steps towards softening that and having better relationships with others as well as with yourself. And lastly, if you want to do that work together with your partner, and if your anger is not causing any physical harm to your partner, You can also tune into my book, The Lasting Connection, which is about developing more love and compassion for yourself as well as your partner. And you will learn a bit more about understanding the angry self as well as the other things that probably lie underneath your anger, like sadness, anxiety, fear or self-criticism. You can buy that on Amazon now by putting in The Lasting Connection into the search field. And until I speak to you next time, do take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically 
showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.